This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Welcome everybody to our Sunday services. It's great to virtually see you. Uh, it's amazing that we get the opportunity to do church, even though it's in our homes and streaming. So I suppose that you're sitting more comfortably now than what you normally do uh, at church. Um, yeah, let's start off with prayer and then we can jump in to the sermon for today. Let's close our eyes. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather virtually. Lord, thank you that... Um, we can come in one spirit and one mind as one body around your word today, Father. And we can come and receive from what your word has to say. Lord, I pray for conviction in our hearts as the word speaks to us, as the Holy Spirit minister, ministers to us. Father, thank you that you are with us, for you are God Emmanuel. Lord, and we praise your name and we, yeah, we thank you that you are with us in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So, yeah, I've uh, I've decided to to share a bit around uh, finding refuge in the cross of Jesus Christ. There there won't be slides shown on your on your screens, so I'm going to just give you a, a moment or just a bit of a heads up that we're going to be uh, talking and we're going to be uh, walking through three passages of Scripture today, and the first one will be out of Isaiah six. It's in the Old Testament, round about the middle. If you've went all the way to Genesis, you've went too far. If you're in the New Testament, you're in the wrong place. In the Old Testament, round about in the middle. Matthew 8 is the second piece of scripture that we'll be going through. It's the first book in the New Testament. Not difficult to find. And then here towards the end of the New Testament, Hebrews 4, you can find there. Those are the three scriptures that we're going to venture through or journey through today. Isaiah 6, Matthew 8, and Hebrews 4. So if you want to get a place marker... You're more than welcome to do that. Yeah, uh, it's just been such an exciting time. Sorry, I forgot to introduce myself. My name is George, um, George Lawrence. I'm the young adults pastor here at Shofar Stellenbosch. And it's a great privilege to serve alongside so many great men and women of faith. Me and my wife have recently, just a little while ago, we had our first baby girl. So it's an interesting time for us with a great time for in this 21-day lockdown. Uh, most dads used to get three days or four days paternity leave. Um, I then, in the beginning of the year, they decided to make it 10. Now I've got 28 days of paternity leave, which I'm very, very thankful for. So, um, yeah, I think God has a plan with a, for every one of us in these 21 days to meet us and to make us grow and to let us grow in our relationships and so on. But yeah, let's jump into the scripture, Isaiah 6, verse 1 to 3. I'm going to read it for us. You can follow with if you have your Bible with you. Uh, and then we're going to unpack it a bit. From verse 1 it says, in, in the year that King Uzziah died, this is now Isaiah that is speaking and he's going to share about a vision that he saw. So in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, each had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
Then verse 4 he says, And the foundations of the thresholds shook at the voice of him who called. And, excuse me. And the house was filled with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the king, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sins are atoned for. Now, um, just a bit of context to make us understand. So, so it's a very vivid image that we have here that Isaiah sees. He's really like explaining to us in detail of what he's seeing in this vision. But there's a bit of context behind it which we'll jump into concerning the Israel, Israelite or Jewish nation um, and how they did things is, is from the time when they were led out of Egypt and, and they made the tabernacle, which, which was the presence of God in their midst, they would set up camp in this way, that the tabernacle would be in the middle. Uh, it, it would be the tent of meeting where they would do sacrifices, where they would do atonement for sin and things like that. And the presence of God uh, were, was held um, in the most holy place. And the tabernacle would be set up first and then they would camp around the, the tabernacle so that the tabernacle or the presence of God, in essence, would then be in the center of the the people, in the, in the center of the camp. And because the the tabernacle was situated in the center they had certain rituals and certain things that caused people to have to go outside of the camp because they were declared impure or defiled or dirty or unclean maybe and these things weren't necessarily sin they weren't that you are now exiled forever but it's more that uh that just for this period of time you need to go and cleanse yourself in certain period of time for different things, and then you come back and then you can be in in the place. And these th- there were three specific things which you can find in Leviticus and then also Numbers. It was uh, a sexual discharge made you unclean, which means you had to leave the camp and cleanse yourself, purify yourself. There was a discharge of blood, so um, women that were menstruating or so on would would have to leave the the camp for that period of time, not because it was sin, but just because it was unclean. And also if you had to bury a relative or, or someone that was close to you and you and you had contact with the dead body that you had to wrap or, or you were involved in the ceremony, you had to then go outside of the town specifically so that um, you, you could be cleansed. So these things weren't sin. They weren't wrong. It was just the mindset or, or, or the way that they saw things was that the most holy place is in the middle of the people, in the center of the camp. And if we have unclean or defiled uh, people that are close in proximity to to this tabernacle, to the presence of God, it will defile the presence of God. It will actually defile um, the, yeah, the holy place. So that's why they were sent out, not because it was sin or anything, but just because they needed to be cleansed in order to come close to the holy place. So keeping this in mind, let's look at the scripture again. And and, and there's uh, in the year that the king died, uh, Isaiah is taken up into the throne room, into the throne of God. And uh, 
there there's these things with six wings, uh, two to cover their face, two to cover their um, feet, and, and two to fly with. And they're, uh, they're declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And there we get our first um, point, is that God is holy. God uh, is completely holy, is completely different to us. And we need to remember it. Remember that. And then he sees, um, and then he sees this, uh, that the foundations of the threshold start shaking when God speaks. And the house is filled with smoke. The, the temple is filled with smoke. And then Isaiah replies and he says, Woe is me. Woe is me for I am lost. For I am a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And the reason why he's saying this is because the most holy place in his mind, would be in God's throne room. And in this vision, he sees that he is in the throne room. And he realizes, man, I shouldn't be here. I'm unclean and I come from a people that are unclean. I am completely lost. I shouldn't be here at all. And then he says, for the eyes have, for my eyes have seen the king. The Lord of hosts. So I am in the presence of God and I am unclean and my people are unclean and I am just in completely the wrong place because I'm going to defile. I'm going to make unclean that which is clean or that which is holy. I'm going to make it unholy with my presence being here. And the next thing he sees is this, this interesting creature with the six wings starts flying towards him with a tongue with a coal on it. And I can just imagine Isaiah standing there and he's just saying, wow. Like, this is the end of me. I am lost. I am, uh, I've, I've come into a place that I shouldn't be. And this angel is flying at me or the seraphim is flying at me with tongues. And I'm just, I'm going to be destroyed now. The wrath of God is going to, going to come upon me. And the next thing that happens is the coal touches his lips. And then this last in verse seven, the end of verse seven, he says, behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I can just imagine like the moment of confusion or the moment of like really not understanding what's going on in Isaiah's mind because he was expecting the wrath of God to come upon him now. And all of a sudden he's made clean. His guilt is taken, is removed from him. Excuse me. His sin is atoned for. Like completely the opposite happens of what he thought would happen. And out of this piece of scripture, we can take away three things. That God is holy. We are completely sinful. But in spite of that, God cleanses us because of his goodness. But not because of our performance. You see, what, what this piece of scripture is, is, is a part of what the scripture is telling us. Is that it's not about what we do. Not about what we don't do. But it's about God's goodness that, that brings cleansing. That removes guilt. That takes away sin. Which is interesting. And we'll build on this as we go on. So if you'll go with me, page over to Matthew, first book of the New Testament, Matthew 8. We're also going to start from verse 1 and making it easy for you guys today. It's going to give you a moment to get there and then we'll read. So in Matthew, from, from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, just uh, also a bit of context. Leading up to this, Jesus is, he announced kind of his kingdom and he starts preaching the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God, uh, 
and 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 starts teaching about judgment, starts teaching about how to be a neighbor, starts teaching about adultery, and and really like challenging the people on the way that the, that you should live when you're in the kingdom, because he he says hard stuff that were difficult for them to understand. Like, um, it's one thing to commit adultery, like the actual act, but even if you commit it in your heart, it is sin. And that challenged the people because, I mean, it's so easy, like, to say, okay, well, at least I didn't do the act of adultery. But he, Jesus says, if you did it in your heart, then you also sinned. And he, and he starts challenging each on things like judgment, like don't judge one another, take the speck out of your own eye, take the log out of your own eye before you take the, can see the speck in the other person's eye, teaching people to love their, not only their neighbor, not only their family, but even their enemy, to love their enemy. So he, he does these difficult teachings and he's basically saying that this is the way of the kingdom. This is the way to live in the kingdom. And this, in Matthew 8, is he's just finished the Sermon on the Mount and he starts walking down. And then this is where we pick up from him. So he's just preached this amazing sermon and we pick it up from verse 1. And he says, when he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him because obviously they'd been listening. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. So Jesus preaches this amazing sermon, and he comes down, and the first person that he interacts with, the first person that he meets with, is this leper. And a leper is, is, is a hectic skin disease that they had in that time and it's contagious and it's if you had leprosy you were just put out of society so unlike what we spoke about um, in the Isaiah scripture like ritual or just human things that you were put outside for a while and then come back in it was more of a you're now an outcast you are rejected you are put on the outside of society because you don't belong. There's obviously something wrong with you. You have sickness in you that we don't want and you must stay outside of society. So Jesus preaches this amazing sermon and this is the first person that he interacts with. This is the first person from the sermon that he comes down and meets. And it's so interesting. The way that he asks the question, the leper, the way that he asks it. He asks, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So he's saying, Lord, you know, I've, I've, maybe, maybe he's seen from a distance that Jesus has healed, healed people and done miracles. Maybe he's seen it with his own eyes. Maybe he's heard stories about this Jesus, this, this amazing teacher that can heal, that can do these miracles. So in his heart, he, he doesn't doubt that Jesus can. He knows that he's able, maybe by the stories or by seeing it himself, but he asks, Lord, if you will, I know that you can, I know that you can heal me, but are you willing to do so? And I, and I think so many times this, this is something that, that we struggle with. We, we don't come to God and we don't ask Him, Lord, are you willing? We, we know that He can. He can do all things. He's Jesus Christ. He's God. He can do all things. But we shy away from asking Him, Lord, are you willing? Because we're scared of rejection. We're scared of being put aside. We're scared of being 
the outcast. But this guy takes a brave step in front of these great crowds as an outcast of society, comes to Jesus, and he says, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Jesus' response is even more phenomenal than this guy's bravery to come and ask him. Maybe it's his desperation that caused him to ask. And then it says, And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Before Jesus said anything, before he um, spoke freedom of sin or freedom from the leprosy, he reached out and touched him. Something that was completely forbidden, not only for a person of Jewish faith or, or Jewish culture or tradition, but for a rabbi to touch a leprous person. This was like, just it blew, it probably blew the minds of the people around him. And he reaches out his hand and he touches him. And he says, I will, I will clean you. Be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. You see, Jesus touches him. And what I want us to take from this piece of scripture, uh, which is so, so beautiful, is that Jesus moves towards our brokenness. He moves towards our sickness. He moves towards our, um, yeah, just our uncleanness, our sinful nature. He moves towards it to come and heal us. You see, I think Jesus has in his mind, maybe not exactly the scripture out of Isaiah, the vision that Isaiah had, but definitely the principle that in the Jewish mind, and very much in our in our lives as well, we have this understanding, we have this thinking that says, I need to sort myself out. I need to get all my things together and I need to, uh, you know, make myself as presentable as I can. And then I come to God because then he will accept me. But as we've seen from Isaiah 6 and now in Matthew 8, that God's heart and his uh, motivation is to move towards the brokenness. You, you see, he flips that, that thinking on its head that I'm, that, that, that the unclean or the unholy is going to come in and defile that which is holy. He flips it completely on its head and he says, you know what? I'm God and you are man. I, I'm almighty. You're not. And because of my loving kindness, because of my father heart, because I am creator and I created you and I want the best for you. I'm going to move towards your uncleanness or unholiness and I'm going to touch you and I'm going to remove your guilt. I'm going to remove your shame. I'm going to remove your unholiness and I'm actually going to heal you and cleanse you. So God doesn't just stand idle, you know. Um, he, he can tolerate, not, he doesn't tolerate sin in his presence, but sin can be in his presence, but he doesn't just stand around and do nothing about sin or hurt or disease. He actually moves towards it with power and with passion and compassion to heal and to deliver and to save those who are sick, who are in need of a savior, who have sin in their lives. And how did, how does he do this? How, how, how what, what allows him to act in this way and this leads us to our next piece of uh, scripture in hebrews 4 closer to the end of the end of the new testament and we're going to and we're going to read from from verse 13 so i'm going to give you another moment just to get there um, and take a sip of water so 
So from verse 13 it says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Beautiful piece of scripture that we'll unpack now. And, and the first thing that, that we see is, is what he says here in, the, in, in verse 13. He says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give, a, give account. And he says, Everything is naked and exposed. Everything is open. God can see everything. He knows all our faults, all our fears, all our failures. He knows everything. Nothing is hidden from him. And I think in this time, you know, my heart really goes out to, or my heart just breaks for the situation I think that the world is in. Um, so many people that have lost their jobs. So many people who've, whose businesses have either closed down who are, or are really struggling. Um, people whose relationships are maybe really tense at this point in time around these things. People's health and their and just their physical well-being is 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 in threat or under threat at this point in time with the whole coronavirus that's going around and 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 we feel exposed we feel vulnerable we feel naked completely to these things to the economic circumstances to maybe our relational circumstances maybe we're physically actually sick as well we feel exposed to the things in this whole pandemic that is going on in the world but to know that god sees everything is exposed everything is naked already before god even your deepest darkest secrets your deepest darkest fears your deepest darkest sins are exposed before god and that might give you assurance to some people that might make you scared to know that but let's read on and let's find out what uh, the writer of hebrews is actually trying to tell us so because um, everything is exposed, everything is, we're, we're vulnerable in front of God. Since then, we have a great high priest has, who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. So he died on the cross, was buried, rose again, and ascended into heaven to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He says, because of this, he is our high priest. Let us hold fast to our confession, our confession that Jesus is Lord and that he rose from the dead. And that he gives life and life in abundance. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to, unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And you, you might be sitting and, and everybody streaming in is sitting in a different situation. And we all have weaknesses and we all have sin and we all have Different circumstances, you know, maybe things are really tough relationally. Maybe you've actually genuinely lost your business or you've lost your job. Uh, and you and, and you sit there and you say, you know, God doesn't know what I'm going through. God is not with me. I will argue, I want to argue against you strongly that according to the word of God, as we read, 
that Jesus is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, with our circumstances. He's able to sympathize with our lives. Because he was tempted, he was tested, he was tried, he was he was under bombardment of everything that we experience, everything that you go through. He experienced the same thing, yet without sin, which makes him perfect, which makes him fully human, fully God, yet without sin. So he didn't sin. And because of this, because he is able to sympathize with us, he says, let us then with confidence, with confidence, with boldness, in other translations it says, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. So, maybe if you're sitting at home and, 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 you, and you feel the freedom to do so, I want to sketch us a bit of a picture to, to help us see this. Um, so maybe if you want to close your eyes and, and, and picture with me. But we are standing in front, maybe you yourself, just picture yourself or your family, standing in front of, uh, in front of this massive castle w- with a throne room. And you're standing in front of those doors that lead to the throne room of the king. Fancy doors, huge doors. And you're standing and, you know, you just look completely unpresentable. You, you, you look terrible. You have no clothes on. Um, you know, you maybe feel like Adam and Eve felt in, in the garden when they ate of the fruit. All of a sudden they realized they were naked and they wanted to cover themselves. And you just want to cover yourself because you want to go into the king, but you know that all your fears and, and, and your experiences in life and your circumstances have caused like scratches and scars and bruises on your body. All your sin has caused your body just to, to look terrible. And you know that in this state, or you, you think that in this state, you can't go and, and actually present yourself to the king because he will just reject you. He'll just not accept you. He'll say you're not worthy enough to go in. And you're standing there and there's this, this wave of hopelessness that comes over you. Maybe picturing your situation that you're in. That there is hope because out comes the prince, Jesus, the prince of peace. Who comes and he says, don't worry, don't worry about your nakedness. Don't worry about how vulnerable you feel or how exposed you feel. And he opens the door for you and he says, you can, you can go in. You can go in because I've, I've made a way for you. I've, I've spoken to the king and, and I've told him that, that, you know, um, you can, you, you can come in and he knows, um, and he invites you in and you can go in and you can receive healing and you can receive freedom and you can receive forgiveness of sin. See, this is, this is the picture that the writer of Hebrews is trying to sketch for us. That he's saying that everything that we have that is wrong with us or that is terrible or bad about us, we think that God is going to reject it. But because of Jesus on the cross and because of his resurrection, he actually says, Come in, not not despite of your circumstances, but actually because of your circumstances, as he says here, you may receive mercy and find grace. Because of your circumstances, you need mercy. You need grace. So come in and God, the King, will give you mercy. He will give you grace in 
in, in abundance and he will give you, he will restore your life. He will forgive your sin. He will remove your guilt. He will remove your shame. Um, he will, he will give you complete freedom. This is what the writer of Hebrews is telling us. And if we put these three examples together, it, it's really an example, these three scriptures that we, that we spoke about, Isaiah 6, Matthew 8, and uh, Hebrews 4. It's really three amazing examples of God's love being demonstrated. So, uh, and, 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 and all of this culminates, it comes together in the cross of Christ, Christ's death and his resurrection. So I want to I want to just walk through it with us uh, in as we start closing. That Jesus says, because He died on the cross for us, and He was buried and He rose again and seated at the right hand. There's there's three things that He says to us. The first that He says is, I will take the wrath of God upon myself. That you don't have to. On the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God upon Himself, and He satisfied. The wrath of God. So that we don't have to face God's wrath. But that we may be healed. And that we may be cleansed. Isaiah 6. Isaiah thought that he was going to experience the wrath of God. And instead of the wrath. He experienced freedom from guilt. And cleansing of his sin. And that's what Jesus came to do on the cross. On the cross he hung and he took God's wrath upon himself. So that you and I don't have to bear it. But that we can walk guilt free. And free of sin. Because of our confession in Jesus. The second thing. That Jesus does. Is he says. He doesn't only reach out his hand. And cleanse us. But he actually embodies. What we should have been. And on the cross. He says I will become rejected. I will become despised on your behalf. So that you might find acceptance. And you might find belonging. From Matthew 8, as Jesus reached out his hand to the leper and he cleansed him on the cross, he did so much more. He became rejected. He became despised for our sins, for our iniquity. He became rejected, completely outcast of society so that we didn't have to. So that instead of that, we can receive acceptance. We can receive belonging. We can actually be children of God. We can be heirs of God. The third thing is that On the third day he was raised and he ascended to the right hand of God. And he made a way to the Father. Not only a way, but the only way to the Father. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. He's the only way towards to the Father that we see in Hebrews 4. And he comes and he opens that door, that throne room, and he says, Come, you need grace, you need mercy. I see you've been through a lot. Come, receive it from me. From Hebrews 4 we see that. In closing... I just want to share a story with us uh, that inspired me and, and, and I think it embodies a lot of what Christ came to do. There was a guy, his name is Maximilian Kolbe. He was a, a Polish citizen who uh, lived during the time of World War II. And he was a Christian man. And what he did was during the world, during the Holocaust, so when the Nazis were, were trying to get all the Jews um, into uh, concentration camps and kill them and basically extinguish the Jewish people. He hid Jewish people in his church uh, until the Nazis got onto his plan and they actually found, they caught him out. Um, 
And they took him and they, you know, basically said, because you love the Jews so much, we'll throw you in with them. So Maximilian uh, was put into a concentration camp at Auschwitz, basically a death camp. Uh, and, yeah, he was there and he would minister to the people that were there. He would minister God's love, um, Christ's redemption, and so on, in the midst of their hardship. And at a time, the gods chose ten random guys uh, to starve to death because they found that one of the prisoners escaped out of Auschwitz and as a as a sign to the rest and a, and a threat to the rest to not um, try and escape, they chose ten guys to starve to death. They were put in the middle of the quad, tied to the tied to the ground with no food, no water, nothing, um, and one of the guys fell to his knees and he begged, please, please don't take me. I have a family, obviously with this hope of, of surviving the concentration camp. And this Maximilian Colby stepped in and he, and he said, leave him. I will, I will go in his place. And they said, fine, we don't really care who dies, but as long as someone dies. And they took him and they, and they put him in the middle of the quad. And for two weeks, he just ministered and he prayed with those that were with him that were starving, that were in desperate need. And after two weeks, I think they realized that maybe this man is not going to die of starvation, so they gave him a lethal injection. And um, he he passed away. But he gave his life, not only for the one guy that he stood in the gap for, that he that he said, I'll take his place, but he said he gave his life for so many others. And I think in this time that we're in, a lot of us feel like we're starving, feel like we're really desperate for some sort of freedom, some sort of escape. And Jesus Christ on the cross comes and says, I will take the wrath of God so that you can escape the wrath of God. I will become rejected and despised so that you can belong to God's family. If you would confess, if you would believe, if you would repent. And the third thing he says that I am seated at the right hand of the Father. And therefore I've made a way for you to come in. Because Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And that is our hope. That is our security today. That in Jesus Christ we find eternal hope. In Jesus Christ we find satisfaction. In Jesus Christ we find forgiveness of sin and freedom from guilt. So wherever you are, whatever situation you're in today, I want to plead with you. Call out to God. For he is with us. Call out to God for he is Emmanuel. God with us. And we, I want to encourage you that the cross is enough. Whatever circumstances you're in, financially, emotionally, relationally, physically, the, the blood of Jesus Christ is enough. If you would cry and call out to him today, he will incline his ear and he will answer your prayers. So I plead with you, cry out to God today and let us be encouraged that Jesus Christ has done the work. It's not our performance, not our um, works, but it's His work that gives us access to receive grace and to find mercy in our time of need. May you be blessed and have a great day further. Amen. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.